You're listening to Lab Notes, your weekly guide to science and innovation. Hello, I am Mark Enotpanos. And I'm Leo Stevens. And welcome to The Brief, where we cover two concepts from science and business. G'day, Leo. What have you got for us today? Hi, Mark. Um, today, I wanted to talk about stock options. I should say there, there is different types of options, but specifically what I'll talk about today is call options, which are the ones that employees and founders are most likely to experience. So call options are a right to purchase the stock of the company. They're simply a contract between two parties, one who is promising to sell the shares at a particular price and the other who has the option to accept. Usually it's the company who has agreed to sell and the employee who has the option to buy. To give an example, Apple's share price is currently around $130. If I work for Apple and was issued an employee share option to buy shares for $100 each, that option would already be worth $30 to me because I could purchase my option shares at $100, immediately resell them to the market at $130 and pocket that $30 difference. In investor lingo, options like these are termed in the money, meaning that they are immediately profitable to excise. But you don't have to use your options right away. You can hold on to them and perhaps Apple's share price would continue to rise, let's say to $150. Then each of my share options are now worth $50 rather than $30. Businesses will often use stock options as part of salary packages or incentive programs because they can be mutually beneficial to the company and the employee. For the company, issuing stock is much cheaper than paying salaries or cash bonuses. The new stock is simply created by the company out of thin air and added to the outstanding equity. For the employee, Options can be viewed like a cash bonus if excised immediately, or they can be held on for the long term where they have the potential to gain value as the business grows. Incidentally, they're also often tax efficient because the gain that you make on a share option is a capital gain, which is taxed at a better rate than your general income. So that's the benefits of the options in brief. Perhaps Mark can help unpick some of the hidden costs that exist for them. So if I'm... um... Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg, and they're in the the news as being some of these $100 billion value people. So their wealth would come of actually having $100 billion sitting in a bank account or because they have some of these call options. Do you know anything about that? Um, Probably neither. Uh, Most of their wealth would be attributable to actually having share ownership. So no longer in the form of options, but actually owning the physical stock of the company. And generally for the founders, that's how it would begin. You imagine when you create a company, you own 100% of its equity because nobody else has invested or bought any. And slowly over time, outside investors come in and they take portions of ownership of that company. But founders who are are careful will still retain a substantial portion of their company's ownership personally by the time it becomes a $100 billion company of which they own 10%, for instance. So to answer the other part of your question, Almost nobody would have $100 billion in cash. Nobody, absolutely nobody does. There may not even be that many dollars uh, in circulation for you to have. Mm. Almost all of the wealth of these people would be in some form or another in investments, owned in shares, in property, etc. Is there a time limit on call options? There is. So, like I said, it's a contract. And the terms of the contract will dictate the time limit. So there's 
There's what's called the strike price, and that is the dollar figure at which the option is worth. And then there's an expiry, which is the time limit that the option has. So if you had those Apple shares I was talking about with a strike price of $100, it might have a two-year expiry. So any time in the next two years, you can buy Apple shares for $100. And most of the time, unless you need the money immediately, it is worth holding those options till the last possible moment because you essentially get more information over time. Apple share price might double, but you can make your money then. If it falls, you can always elect not to excise your options. So you don't have to pay that $100 to buy Apple shares if the Apple share price has fallen down to $60. That was going to be one of my questions. What happens in that case to an employee that they've been promised? It's just that the promise is worthless. So they are not obligated to buy any shares. If they've got options with a strike price of $100 and the share price falls to $70, the employee would just choose not to excise those options. And it's essentially like it never existed to begin with. And that's probably a good end to swap over to... Yep, let's do the topic from science. What is it, Mark? It's about university makerspace. All right, hit us. So a makerspace is a general term that describes a place where people can come together to use and also to learn to use new technologies, new tools, new skills, and develop projects, but also network with like-minded makerspace users. So the main concept of a makerspace is really revolving around the space that can be used for a range of activities that are of a changing and flexible nature, generally dictated by the needs of the people that use it. And let me illustrate that with an example. So a typical university makerspace will give students and staff members access to tools that can range from soldering irons to 3D printers to digital recording programs to virtual reality headsets. And there are also usually mentors on hand, which are volunteers that can help people getting started, but also to make those crucial connections with other makers. Makerspaces also like to run workshops to help develop specific skills. So you can think introduction to computer-aided design or 3D printing workshop. Now, I am pretty sure that there might be a straightforward equivalent with makerspaces in the world of business, which possibly could be something like a hackathon or even an incubator. But I'm sure you're going to correct me on that, Leo. And that is probably very briefly the key aspect of a university makerspace. So these concepts of makerspaces, they are relatively new, but universities have had workshops for a long time and places where things could be created. What in your mind is the, is the real difference between, I guess, a university workshop and a university makerspace? The university workshop is ingrained in the bureaucratic arrangements that exist within a university. So in order to use a workshop, you generally need to go there. You will have to fill out some forms. You'll have to give account numbers and your job will get assigned. A makerspace is a more looser arrangement. It's more like a walk-up workshop where you can go in and say, hey, this is the problem I have, this is what I need to solve, and then you can go on hand. The other difference would be that workshop is staffed by highly skilled, paid employees of the university that are highly technical in certain areas. A makerspace is generally staffed by volunteers, so there will be, there could be a difference in skill level. They also serve different purposes workshops generally you think about engineering solutions whereas a makerspace you can think of 
all tools and skills that you might need. Are the makerspaces being used frequently for prototype development for university research, or is it mostly students and hobbyist projects that are jumping into these areas? I think a bit of both. So from what I know, some of my own higher degree research students have made a couple of prototypes there or using printers or cheaper printers that we didn't have available in our own lab. And it's also used for people to do outside things that might not have anything to do with their degree. And who manages the makerspace? How is, I guess, access to these places handled? It's, it's very much a walk-up arrangement. In a lot of universities, these are housed in the library. So access goes through the library of the university. Well, I think that's most of the questions I've got about Makespace. I'm sure I'm missing things. I'm just familiar with this one, so it's, it's hard to know what to ask. Let's uh, call it a day for today, then. Yep. Thank you, Leo, and make sure to tune in next week. We'll see you then.